Hi there, I'm Amanda Stevens, and welcome to the Epic Podcast, where I explore the minds of some of the planet's most epic entrepreneurs, business leaders, and visionaries to unearth their incredible stories, their journey to success, how they do what they do, and most importantly, why. My hope is that you'll find some inspiration in each episode, some new ideas, or perhaps just a little motivation to build an epic business and life. Hey guys, episode two of the Epic Podcast, and I'm really glad you're joining us today because we speak to one of my favorite humans, the uber successful Jay Edwards, the founder of Edwards & Co. This is an epic story. It's an epic brand and a truly epic interview. Get a pen and paper ready because I guarantee that no matter what business you're in or want to be in, this interview is going to get you truly fired up about what's possible when you're brave enough to set fire to the rule book. And after that, stay listening because we've got the epic Amelia Phillips here to share some more epic health hacks. The epic podcast helping you build a better business and a better you. Cue the epic music, please. Let's do it. Now, if you're a business owner worried about perhaps charging too much or hesitant to lift your prices, you're about to meet an epic entrepreneur who will inspire you that a premium price positioning is not only possible, it could be the secret to market leadership. Jay Edwards is the founder of Edwards & Co, a hairdressing brand that he's grown from a single salon in Sydney to a seven salon, eight figure empire with a cult following and a host of expansion projects on the go. In all of this success, Jay is a truly inspiring human. And as you're about to hear, he's only just getting started. Jay, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited. Awesome. Now, Jay, you have just turned 30, which would surprise most people given what you've achieved in less than a decade. Has having a big birthday given you opportunity to reflect at all? Um. That's an interesting question. I, when, when I get asked that question, I get a little bit awkward. Um, I don't often reflect much on what I've done because it makes me a bit uncomfortable for some reason. Um, but sure, like I, can, I appreciate what I've done. But for me, it's just like it's work and I enjoy doing work. So I do it well. Does that make sense? Totally. And you are one of the hardest working people that I know. <coughs> but surely you must have moments <coughs> where you sort of have those pinch yourself moments where you look around and look at what you've created. Um, You've got salons in three states now, um, an eight-figure business. Like, was this always, was this, were you always sure that this was how things were going to work out with Edwards & Co? Oh, no way. So, I guess when I started Edwards & Co, I I kind of started it by mistake. Um, My first business venture didn't work, and I went into overdrive and just opened the first Edwards & Co salon. <clears throat> and I actually had a business partner when I started and it didn't really work out with her. So I had to, I asked her to sell it all to me. Um, and then I guess with the work we were, with the work we were putting out there, it, things started to take off. Um, and then I opened my second salon and that, I think that's when I got, I kind of understood what I, what was possible. Um, and I just ran with that, but I never imagined that Edwards & Co would be, what it is today. Well, nor did I plan for that. (laughs) 
So you you never really had a business plan. Well, I've still never had one really, to be honest. <laughs> I love it. You just are growing intuitively. So what what do you think is possible? You're now at five salons. Um, seven salons. Seven salons now. Wow. You're doing um, a lot of educational stuff overseas, which we'll get to. Um, I want to delve down into that a bit more with you in a moment, but. When you now think about the vision for Edwards & Co, what does that look like? Um, I really do see endless opportunity. I just don't think there should be a limit placed on what's possible. Um, I always teach my team, like, if your dreams are realistic, then their dreams aren't big enough. Um, you know, I'm about, actually about to hire a COO because um, one of the challenges I face is really directing my vision in one course. I, I direct it in so many different courses and I can't, focus on what's important, if that makes sense. Mm. Um, so I'm bringing on a COO to help me better decide what direction and what vision we should go down or what path we should go down um, because there really are so many like, avenues of business and income that we have like, that are possible. So I really need to like, hone in on what's going to be most profitable or, and most exciting and also most fulfilling. Because if it's not fulfilling, then I don't see the point. Mm, so it's not just about the dollars. Definitely not. Like, I mean, it would be great if it was because, like, I would be, like, financially better off. But I'd be so bored, you know. Like, for me, it's important to not be bored um, and to feel fulfilled and excited. Otherwise, I just don't I just don't see a point in doing it if you don't feel those feelings, you know. Yeah, totally. Did you even know what a COO was five years ago? Nope, had no idea. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So let's talk about the diversification of the business because so you started with one salon, um, which took mm -hmm. off. Uh, but the the secret to the success of Edwards and Co is a brand and now an eight figure business empire. Let's call it um, is not just in in the salons itself, is it? Because you've diversified into education. Um, yeah. and a couple of other brand extensions. Tell us about that and how that all came about. So about three years ago, we started getting requests on how to like create our Edwards & Co. Wave. Um, and I was like, okay, well, let's look further into this. Let's see if it's profitable. Um, and then we released our first couple of courses. Um, last year was our second year, and we did 10, 10 courses domestically and three courses internationally. Um, and this year, we've actually done 25 domestic classes, and I personally have done 12 um, international classes and I'm about to go and do four more um, and we're being really well received in Europe and the US um, and to be honest in terms of profitability the classes are actually more highly profitable than the salons are um, which has like turned out really well for us we're actually about to um, launch into the online education space as well um, there's a few different ways where I'm thinking about doing it but I think the most you know, the most brand and aesthetically pleasing way is to develop a website where we have our whole platform in one area. Mm. Um, so that's what we're focusing on next. And I anticipate that to be, you know, a really quite a large, um, quite a large part of the business in the future. Well, totally, because you can get um, incredible amounts of scale um, with that kind of strategy. So it makes total yeah. sense. Now, people who aren't in, in the hair industry um, wouldn't, sort of appreciate this um, as much as people who are in the hair industry, but you're a bit of an outlier in terms of education because having the profile that you do around education is normally exclusively, like those positions are almost exclusively held 
um, for people who've been in the industry for a really long time. Um, there's yeah. not, there's no other educators at your level with your profile as young as you. So has yeah. that come with challenges? Um, how have you sort of overcome that from a credibility point of view? You know, it's so funny you asked this question because the, like, the challenges I face with that are so real, um, especially for talent owners who have been around for a longer time than I have or who have had been in education roles for a longer period than me and aren't doing as well. Because um, <clears throat> people like to create stories in the head around why I'm doing well without actually asking me why. Um, an example of that is I actually found a feed on Facebook on um, a hair forum that is meant to support the industry. Um, and there was a, a full story about how I use my workshops to coach staff. Um, and I have very strong qualities around that and don't, I would never do that. That is detrimental to my business in the future. Um, so, like, people love to create stories around why I'm doing well or why I'm doing something. Um, and actually, if they just asked me, like, I would be more than happy to give them all the information they need you know, um, but in the same sentence, it's also been a huge positive thing for me to be in that position um, because it's be, I've been able to influence and um, inspire like young artists who wouldn't have had that otherwise or young artists who come from, um, you know, I came from a regional area in New South Wales and there's lots of hairdressers in those areas and they just they think that they're the hairdressers that will get paid $700 a week for the rest of their lives. You know, and that's not what, in my opinion, that's not what hairdressing is about. So I feel very privileged that I would have been, been in a position where I am now um, and being able to inspire those hairdressers. Mm. Um, but yeah, being there has come with a lot of challenges because um, those people somehow put a, you know, an invisible roof on your head, which can limit your growth as a business, if that makes sense. Mm. And that's not the first false false rumour that's been created about you either. No, not at all. There's, I mean, that one is like, that one sticks around. I'm not sure why. Um, but, yeah, there's been a few going around and it just really is misinformation or people just saying stuff because they just are either scared or, you know, or they just jealous. don't know. So jealous. they just assume. Yeah. Yeah, or jealousy. You know, I think um, people call it tall poppy syndrome. And it really is a big thing in Australia. It is, isn't um, it? I don't, yeah. yeah, I don't know why. Um, like I've done so much traveling and worked with many other businesses all around the world and it, they just don't have that same culture. Why do you think we do have it in Australia? Do you have a theory on it? I know I do. Uh, I think it, it is a cultural thing and I think we, we uh, it's an Australian thing even when you're growing up to... yeah you know, to, to put people down who are doing well or, you know, showing off or big noting themselves. I mean, we've got a unique, Australia has a unique language around all of that that starts in the playground. Yeah, like, I, I don't really have a theory around it, but I, even, even as a kid, you know, you'd be in school and I remember you do those silly tests that tell you what you have the ability to be when you're older. And your teachers would be like, you'd say you wanted to be a doctor, for example, or whatever. And your teacher would be like, oh, no, 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 you won't be able to do that. Like, you know, and I mean, that to me, my parents were very much like that. They were always like, oh, no, no, you know, that, you won't be able to do that. Um, and when I started getting successful, my, my dad said to me, it's a very long way from the top, Jay, um, a long way down from the top. And it's like even ingrained in parents to um, treat their children that way, you know. 
mm. which I just, I don't have a theory around it. I just find it mind blowing that people can't just be 110% supportive of the people around them. Mm. Um, because imagine if everyone was supportive. Imagine what humans would be capable of doing, you know? Epic, epic things like you are. Um, does it hurt? Do those rumours hurt? It's all very well to say, you know, don't take it personally and people are just jealous. But there must be times where that, particularly those false rumours, get to you. Yeah, like really, they really do. Um, I'm quite, I find, I consider myself to be a strong person, um, but I am also a really emotional person. Um, you know, and I, <clears throat> they, those things can easily make me really emotional and really get to me, especially when there's no truth to them at all. If there's like a much, some amount of truth, then like I'll, I'll own that. I always do. Um, and, you know, I'll just get on with it. But if there's no truth to it, I'm just like, it really gets to me. Because um, I'm, I'm an honest person and I value honesty above all else. Um, so, yeah, it can, get, it can really get to me like, at times, especially last week with that rumor about using my workshops to poach um, team members and stuff, that really, really struck a chord with me. Because, um, you know, I'm out here doing my best, as is everyone else. They utilize their time and focus on their own business rather than worrying about what stuff I might be taking, then they'd probably do just as well, you know? Mm-hmm. And that, I mean, that's kind of a harsh reality. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but, you, you but come from an abundant, abundant mentality where a lot of people don't. Yes, Absolutely. Um, so let's talk about your business model because it is quite unique and you you know you proudly say that Edwards and Co is the most expensive salon in the country but it is arguably probably the fastest growing um, what have been the, was that always by design um, not always by design I wouldn't say when we initially opened we were up there but I guess in my opinion we do deliver some of the best work in this country. So I personally think the price tag should match. Um, you know, it's, I kind of always um, compare myself to, uh, like, Balenciaga, you know, delivering the best... Um, they, give, they, give, they have the best retail items out there, you know, and they don't, they don't adhere to everyone's budget. Um, and that puts an exclusivity tag on them, right? So if I want that bag, that means I have to stay for it. And I think hair services are a luxury item, just the same as a bag from Balenciaga. And I don't ever adhere to what people's budgets be. And I believe what that's done to me is put an exclusivity tag on the services that we offer, um, which is like then allowed us to be one of the fastest growing salons in Australia. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally, totally. And it, yeah. you know, as you say, it has it's created an air of exclusivity around the brand, but the interesting thing is that's helped drive demand. Um, a lot of your salons have huge waiting lists and, um, it, you know, it's, a, it's an in-demand brand. Yeah. And, like, the thing is, I think there's a bit of psychology that goes with that because, yes, there is a wait list, but not for everyone. There's a wait list for... There's a, the wait list is actually for the higher-charging stylist, which is really interesting to me. Because um, we we have a five um, a five tier price list from what we have a, a, an emerging stylist and then a senior emerging and a senior a master and director and this, the emerging price is about fifty percent less than the director price so we actually do charge a very varied um, price range but the most um, the most demand is for your most expensive 
stylist, Absolutely. which is interesting. Yes. Um, and I believe, like, by doing that, it actually creates, it creates almost a false demand. Um, even though the demand is obviously there, but for, in people's minds, that it creates a, more, a higher demand, if that makes sense. Mm. Um, and, like, our, our younger team, our emerging team, they can do work just as good as any director. Like, we implement and give so many resources to education and to make sure that our team can deliver on any kind of color or cut that someone would want. Um, and yeah, our emerging team, senior emerging team can deliver just as well as the master or director. Um, and I just, yeah, it's a psychology thing. Like people want the best um, and they will pay for the best, which is why um, the perceived best are in high demand. Does that make sense? Yeah, well, you've, by having a tiered system, you've created a sense of relativity around value, which is really clever. Yeah. So with your, the, the structure or the business model in terms of how your team operates is quite unique as well, isn't it? Um, I think it, I find it interesting because people are a bit confused about the structure of the business now. Um, because when I originally opened, I only had freelancers. Um, and in the last like three years, I've actually changed that whole model and everyone, pretty much 90% of my team are employees now. Um, it had, it was nearly impossible for me to grow at the scale that I have just with freelancers. Um, and you know, in my opinion, the, the scope on freelancers, what it was, um, six, seven years ago to what it is now has changed also. Um, the freelancer model seven years ago was. Um, editorial people who needed to work in a salon one or two days a week to make extra money because the editor editorial doesn't pay all that well in Australia unless you're doing advertorial. Um, and now what um, freelance is, it's just like, um, you know, a, a hairdresser who wants to work for themselves and pay $100 a day for a chair, um, you know, which doesn't suit my model anymore, not in the spaces that I create. So actually, yeah, most of my team are employees um, and I figured out a way when I started changing that model, I wanted to better understand what motivated each person um, and what, what it meant for them to have flexibility and freedom within a role while being an employee. Um, and most things were, you know, flexibility around hours, um, a bit like more time to take holidays um, and just like not having, like having structure, but not having structure that it's so much structure that it's overwhelming. Um, so I gave them an extra week's leave. So all my team get five weeks paid on your leave. Um, we, they all get a gym membership. We all do like classes together. Um, they have a budget for each of them to go to education and the education doesn't have to be hair. It can be team leadership. It can be self-development. It can be anything that betters them as a, as a human. Um, and that gives them flexibility and People, I think, these salon owners get a bit confused with the word flexibility because they just think, oh, they just want to work less. Um, and that's actually not true. Uh, they just want flexibility in the way they choose to do things. Um, and by giving them those things, they, it gives them a perceived sense of freedom in the way they do stuff. Does that make sense? Mm, so it's giving them the best of the freelancer model, but enabling you to scale with the employee, the employee or the employed um, model that you need for scale. Absolutely. 
This episode of the Epic Podcast is brought to you by our good friends at Storage King. When you're building an epic business and life, sometimes you have to store some excess stuff. It could be furniture, retail stock, or even somewhere to house the epic ideas that you're going to have after listening to this show. If that's you, speak to the awesome kings and queens at Storage King. In fact, they have a special introductory offer for epic podcast listeners to get you started. Simply head over to storageking.com.au slash epic to learn all about it. So tell us about the culture because what that kind of structure and model has given you also is that one of the highest retention rates in the industry. Um, yeah. And, you know, people look at your culture and you know, what, what could they learn from looking at the Edwards & Co culture that you've created? I think... Um it's interesting because, you know, the culture that we've created can sometimes be a double-edged sword because I've created a family culture where everyone feels comfortable to come to me or come to one of the managers and chat about stuff. But it also gives them um, permission to sometimes overstep the line um, and not treat you as a boss or not treat your managers as their, as their boss, if that makes sense. So I think, you know, as we get bigger, we're having to implement more boundaries around that type of stuff. Um, but just, you know, one really strong thing in our culture is I give the team the ability to direct their own path. Um, so if someone starts in one role, within six to 12 months, they're probably in another role. And that, that, that gives them more freedom around, um, more freedom over their job and where they want to go with that. And I think in turn creates a really strong um, culture in the salons because everyone is like happy and feels in control. Does that make sense as well? Yeah, totally. I, I guess I'm wondering, yeah. a lot of people would be listening to that and wondering how on earth do you put, start establishing boundaries that weren't there before? I can imagine that it would be much easier to do it in reverse to be relaxing boundaries when it comes to staff, but because you've created such a, as you say, family culture, your staff are your friends. Uh, how do you go about then putting boundaries in place that weren't there before and how do people react to that? Yeah, this has become really challenging for me. Um, and like on a personal level, it's actually like can be upsetting because you've, I've actually lost friends because of me putting boundaries in place. Um, and people pull back a little bit because like, oh, well, he's more my boss now, not my friend. So that's definitely been challenging for me. Um so I, I definitely have to tread carefully, but that's also another reason why I'm hiring a COO because um, I don't really, I find it difficult to implement those boundaries myself. Um, so I'm going to be relying heavily on this new person to do it with me. Um, and there, w there will be a lot of change and I might lose staff um, and I'm prepared, to, I'm prepared to lose staff because if I think about the future of Edwards & Co., these steps are absolutely necessary in making sure that Edwards & Co. is a sustainable business into like the next 10, 20 years. Mm. This CIO person can't be the easiest hire in the world. How is that process? Or how are you going about <laughs> finding this person? So I've used a recruiter um, who was recommended to me in Sydney. We started with seven candidates. So we're into our third round of interviews and we're up to two candidates that are left. Um, and I have had help interviewing because I have no idea how to interview for a COO, like no clue at all. Um, so I've had a friend of mine um, helping me take, like, facilitate the interviews 
um, asking the right questions, understanding what their experiences are, making sure that they have strong points in financial management, in people management, um, and, uh, and handling, I guess, difficult people. Because, you know, as creatives, we can definitely be difficult at times. <laughs> um, and also someone who's willing to challenge me and push back on me. Because I am a really strong personality, um, especially when it's in regards to Edwards & Co. Or, some, or a project that I'm working on. So I need someone who's comfortable challenging me and saying, actually, that might not be the right thing to do. Maybe we should try this way, um, which is really important to me. And it's interesting that you recognize that because, you know, you've been at the helm of this business for six or seven years now and, you know, you're, you you will suddenly very soon almost have someone to answer to. Is that, does, does that bring up, what does that bring up for you? Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah it's going to be hard. Um, but, you know, I have, I, I dropped out of school in year 10. I have no formal education. Um, I went to university for a year and dropped out of that as well. Um, so the knowledge that I have is it's exhausted now. I have learned everything along the way, and I'm not able to grow Edison Co. the way I want to without the help of someone else. Um, so yes, I will have someone to answer to. Will it be hard? Absolutely. Um, but is it going to be helpful for the future and the sustainability of Edison Co.? 100%. Mm, still very grown up, Jay. I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so that all this stuff is sometimes quite overwhelming for me because it's just like more stuff, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, you, you, I mean, now that you've had such brand diversification and expansion, there, there is just so much to be across, isn't there? Yeah, there is a lot to be across, um, and. You know, like, my phone just doesn't stop all day. Like, I had a conference call at 9 a.m. this morning with all the managers. Um, and since that, I've had about 30 text messages come through. I've had emails from legal team about trademarks that we're buying. Um, I've had calls from the builders in the new Melbourne salon talking about internet. And it's just, like, it's n never ending. Um, and for my own sanity, I, I, need, I need help with that for my own sanity because I will – I get – for whatever reason, the last year, I've been getting really um, anxious and overwhelmed because of the amount of stuff. Um, and it just is not healthy for me, um, mentally healthy for me to keep trying to do it on my own. Mm. And, and so how are you achieving balance or striving for balance in all of that? Um, that's a great, great question. I guess I really make sure that, actually, it's not even happening at the moment. I'm trying to make sure that um, I take days where I just don't do anything. I don't take calls or emails or anything like that. Um, I have a PA and she's really, really great. So I try and direct all contact to her. But she's actually on leave at the moment, <laughs> which makes things very difficult. Um, and I will be cutting my client days right back. So I'll only be doing one or two days of clients every month. Um, and... That, to me, even doing that has allowed me to be present in the business and really make well-informed decisions regarding the business. Because when I'm doing clients, like it's hard, it's hard for me to be present in the business and it's really hard for me to, to be present with the clients. Um, so I'm kind of just figuring out what's important to me, what do I enjoy doing most, um, what's most rewarding for me, and also what's, most, what's like financially, what will do well for me financially. 
Um, and I, my favorite thing to do is actually the classes. I love teaching. I love sharing my knowledge. Um, and that's also financially rewarding. So that's a win-win for me. So I'm going to start focusing on what I enjoy most rather than what I need to do, which is another reason why I'm hiring the COO. <laughs> I, uh, I'm already feeling a little sorry for this person. I have to tell you with everything that they've got <laughs> for you across and, um, and manage. But, uh, so you're making that transition at the moment that a lot of entrepreneurs and business owners go through at some point, which is that transition of working on the business rather than in the business. But it sounds like you're always going to be working in the business in some capacity because that's what you enjoy. But what could you share around making that transition? What's important and how do you how do you make the transition from um, being on the tools um, in whatever industry that you're in and, and being more yeah. taking that higher level and working on the business to help it grow and scale? I think one of the biggest things I would say is let's keep your team informed. Because um, I have a habit of not telling my team what's going on for me. And then they're like, why is he being so erratic? Like he's being a psycho. <laughs> um, so, and they're just like, we just want to know so that we're cool, you know, so that we understand. So I just think informing your team, keeping them up to date. You know, if you're feeling overwhelmed, tell them you're feeling a bit overwhelmed. Tell them you need some help. Um, you know, I, rely, I have a general manager, her name's Bridget, and I rely heavily on her for a lot of stuff. Um, and she was feeling overworked and overwhelmed because I wasn't telling her what was going on for me. I was just expecting her to do all this stuff for no reason, though. Um, so I just think keep your team informed. Let them know what's going on. Um, and tell them what your bigger picture is. Because if they understand your bigger picture and are on board for your bigger picture, then there's no stopping you, I don't think. Mm. And, and you're also, as a leader, your style is someone who's not afraid to be vulnerable with your team either. Do you think that there's real strength in that? Because a lot of people really do shy away from that or they think that that's a sign of a weak leader. Yeah, I think that's interesting you asked me that because I've been... I went through a phase of not showing vulnerability to my team and just putting on a strong face. Um, and that's probably because I was going through some personal changes um, in my life as well. Um, and I had a leadership conference with a team only a few months, a month ago or so. And the, that facilitator like gave me permission to be vulnerable. It's not, I know that sounds a bit strange, but he gave me permission to be vulnerable. And it was the first time in about a year where I actually, had, where I actually was vulnerable with them. And like cried in front of them and told them what I was actually feeling. And in all honesty, it's completely strengthened our working relationships with the rest of the team. And now I'm keeping, now I feel comfortable like keeping in touch with them and telling them what's going on and being vulnerable with them. Um, so I think there's huge strength in being vulnerable to your team. Um, it's not a sign of weakness at all. Like we are all human and we all go through difficult things. Um, and we all have to cry every now and then. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good, it's really good advice. So what would you have done differently if, thinking back when you opened that first salon? Is there anything um, that you would have done differently if you had the Yeah, absolutely. Like my first, I guess my first mistake was one of my salons, I actually bought it as a business, an existing salon. Uh, and within six months I had fired every staff member that came with it. Um, and the reason I did that was because they just weren't adhering, well, not adhering, they weren't, they weren't keen to get on board with the culture that Edwards & Co. was. They, weren't, they didn't want change. Um, 
so I not only got rid of the whole team, I then spent more money on doing a complete renovation of the space. So I spent double the amount of money I would normally have spent. And it's taken me three, three and a half years to really get over that red line, which is unusual for us because it would only normally take us six months to get over the red line and back into profit. Um, so that was definitely one of the biggest mistakes I've made. <laughs> Um, We call that an epic lesson, (laughs) not a mistake. Yeah, absolutely, an epic lesson. It was such an epic lesson. And, you know, honestly now, though, um, that salon is doing really, really well. I have a great manager. Um, She's, like, exceptionally good, and I have a great team. Um, And I was about six months ago, I had put it on the market to let it go because I was done. Um, And I kind of sat down with myself and said, look, what – What's the purpose of getting rid of it? What is that going to achieve for you? Is that going to give you a good payout? Is it not? What's it going to do? And the reality was it was probably only going to give me $100,000, which, you know, is not really that much money with how much money I've invested into it. So I went in and let the current manager go that was there before, let her go hide a new one, and went and spent time with my team and turned it around, and it's doubled the turnover within just a couple of months. Um, And I expect that to sustain um, so I think if people are willing to commit the time and the energy to their teams and they are in a position like that, that you, that you have the opportunity to really flip it around and turn it into something really cool. Amazing. So your team culture is one aspect of Edwards & Co. The other one, of course, that we haven't talked about is that along the way you've built a cult following uh, a lot of celebrity clients, including Lara Bingle, um, has that been by design? Is that been a strategy or has that happened by default and organically along the way? It's happened by design but also by default. So when we first opened Edwards & Co, I was lucky enough to already know Lara. She's been a huge supporter of mine since I met her. Um, but when we, what we did, we focused on, um, we called them social influencers and digital influencers. Now, the difference between social influencers that's just people who own the cafe across the street or they own the flower store around the corner or they own the pub next block over where we go for drinks every Saturday after work. I call them social influencers. And I I would often invite these people in and not charge them. Um, And the reason I did that was because they would tell every single person that they went to your salon and they come across hundreds of people every day, every day. So you've got to think about what impact that might have on the business, right? Um, and then what we did, we focused on digital influencers and that's like your Instagrammers and your bloggers and things like that. Um, and that's what that was now, so what, it, what that was then, so what it is now is completely different. So we have a different approach to it now, but back then we would invite them in. We had three tiers. We had a, um, a complimentary service, a 50% off service or a 30% off service. And that was dependent on who their following was, what location they were in. Um, if their following was largely male or female, all that type of stuff. So really understanding their stats on their Instagram accounts. Um, and that's really helped us grow in, from a digital perspective. Um, and I just had a conversation with my team only two days ago, and I just said to them, I feel like we've really let go of social influences. We haven't, like, focused on our neighbours. Um, and, you know, by focusing on your neighbours, I believe that removes that idea of, the idea of tall poppy syndrome. Because if you support them, they support you in return, um, which creates a really interesting dynamic between your local businesses. Um, so we're actually refocusing on that rather than digital influences. 
um, which we will still work with, but not in the capacity that we were. So do you think that strategy, local complementary businesses, <coughs> or as you say, social influencers, um, business owners who uh, you know, have uh, come in touch with a lot of people and have a lot of customers themselves, is that a strategy that you think any business could implement? Absolutely. There's no reason why any business can't implement that. Um, you know, I just think it's just about building connections and networking um, and supporting each other. I think it's a really interesting... It's just... I find the, I find the way humans connect and interact really fascinating. Um, and it's even more fascinating when you see the cause and effect of that. Um, yeah. I just... I'm really intrigued by that type of stuff. <laughs> And people who haven't been to Edwards & Co, um, what they wouldn't know is that you are a salon that is you create an experience that's difficult for people not to talk about. Um, from all the little touches that you do to the way that your salons are designed, can you tell us a little bit about the Edwards & Co's signature experience? Absolutely. Um, so every time I build a new salon or try and build a new experience, I'm thinking about how, what will that person do with that experience or do with parts of that experience? And what I want that person to do is take a photo of it. Um, so every touch point that I implement, I want, that, I want a person or a client to take a photo of it. So our first touch point in the salons is our artworks. So we have beautiful big artworks in all the salons painted on the walls by a friend of mine, Brian. Um, and that's like become part of our brand. So I need to make sure that those artworks are front and center wherever we are. Um, another touch point is our coffee cups. They're all custom made by Millie Dent. Um, and they're beautiful. They're really like they're a really cool shape. They've got big blue swells in them. And they're, they're, that, Instagram, and they're, when, they're Instagrammable, basically. Absolutely, yeah, they're yeah. Instagrammable. And like even um, our very first bathroom and our first salon was Instagrammable. That was a beautiful bathroom. And that's where everyone started taking their selfies. So I one thing I've realized in the last few months, I've actually let that concept slip away a little bit. So I'm regrouping on that and I'm actually changing all the bathrooms and all the salons to make them somewhere where someone will take a selfie in the mirror. Um, so it's just about like finding touch points along the whole journey of the experience to make sure that that client, like they can't find it anywhere else and that they take a photo of it to remember it. Yeah, does that make sense? Yeah, totally. And it's interesting that you say you've touched on it a couple of times that as you've grown and scaled, some of the things that were working really well for you, you've let slip or you've, you've yeah. taken fo focus off. And I think that that's a really fascinating lesson for any business owner because as we grow and our focus changes, we sometimes forget that the things that you know have, have um, led to that success uh, sometimes we do let slip and they're actually the things that are really important to the customer. Yeah, that's, I have been learning, having a lot of those lessons lately. <laughs> um, and, you know, it, they all come up just during conversation with the rest of the team. Um, so I've been having more regular check-ins with the team because I have, I'm able to because I'm taking on less clients. And, you know, I'll be like, what about this? That works really well and we haven't done it in so long. And I'll be like, oh my God, we actually haven't. Why? What questions are you asking them to get to those nuggets of gold? So, for example, we're about to open our next salon in Melbourne in Fitzroy. Um, and I'm comparing, I go, okay, so what did we do with our last opening that didn't work? Or what did we do, what didn't we do that we should have done that would have helped? 
Mm. Um, and our last prior opening was Brisbane. Um, and we, first things first, we didn't have our digital media manager there in the Brisbane opening um, or our PR manager there, which is like obviously vital in creating like a presence there right away. Um, and then I think about, okay, I've got a salon in Alexandria. What don't we have there that we have in the other salons? And the first thing that they said was that we don't have our own bathroom. We share a bathroom in that salon. Um, and I'm like, oh, I said, yeah, that's so true. And Bianca then goes, well, why aren't all the bathrooms like the original Surrey Hill salon? Everyone used to take selfies there. And I'm like, I don't know. Why isn't that? Why? <laughs> and I'm like, okay, well, what do we need to do to make that happen? So for the new Fitzroy Salon, there's been a huge focus on making sure that the bathrooms are Instagrammable, that people want to take a selfie there, um, you know, and even on the way out, we'll put a big mirror in the hallway on the way out with a huge artwork behind it so that when someone takes the selfie in the mirror, there'll be a message that says, have you taken your selfie yet? Um, and then they can take their selfie and in the background of that selfie is the beautiful artwork that's so recognisable with Edwards & Co. So it's kind of like linking all those touch points together. And, um, and even just like creating in touch with clients, um, chatting to clients or chatting to people who, um, you know, who haven't been around Edwards & Co for so long, but they see it on Instagram, you know, and that you're just having a conversation with them and things just pop up. So what you've touched on there, which I think is such an important lesson, is sometimes the best ideas for the business and the development of the brand can come from both internally being your team and also just having conversations with customers and actually literally I mean what you've just talked about sounds so simple but this is what a lot of business owners don't do is they don't look at the customer experience through the eyes of the customer yeah absolutely one thing we're doing right now actually is we're calling um, a, a list of clients who haven't been back in six months and I'm calling them because I need. I want to make it personal. I want it to be human contact. So you're making um, those calls. Absolutely. Well, not me personally, but my managers are making those calls. Because yeah. um, I just think you know, there's so much lack of human contact these days, EDMs and text messages and all that kind of stuff. And I want my managers to call them and have a real conversation with those clients about why they haven't been back. You know, and I like six months worth of clients for us is about four and a half thousand people per salon. So times that by seven. A lot of people, yeah, wow. you know, it's thirty thousand people. So I want to better understand why they haven't come back. If, if it was pricing, if it was the experience, if it was the stylist, if it was the blow dry, like whatever it was. And then you know, if my managers then think, okay, well, we have the opportunity to bring this client back into the salon, then we'll bring that client back into the salon, and we'll ask them if we will ask them permission if we can have them back in to better their experience. Wow, such a simple strategy. But as you say, those numbers really add up. Oh, the numbers add up so fast. Things like that blow my mind. Like, because if, you, if you, we retain those clients and they spend on average, um, you know, say $300 um, every three months, that's two visits in that six months. Times that by two, then 30000 well, Imagine how much money that is. That is a lot That's of probably dollars. another million dollars. Right there. <laughs> You know? Just another lazy million. <laughs> hey, um, Jay, you've just turned 30. What advice do you think 20-year-old Jay would give 30-year-old Jay? Um, to breathe. <laughs> <laughs> um, to breathe, I, to breathe and learn what, what COO, COO stands for. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, I can be a little hot-headed at times and forget to breathe. 
Yeah. Um, and I'm a little bit reactive. So I think that would be the biggest piece of advice, just to breathe. Um, and, you know, things will happen that aren't in your control. So just let them take its course and everything will be okay. Awesome. And what do you think, uh, 50-year-old Jay, what advice would he give 30-year-old Jay? Um, he would tell me that I did good and I did the best I could mm-hmm. and that what I did was all okay. <laughs> yeah, great. What's, what do you think has been, just to finish up, what do you think has been your most epic lesson in business so far? Um, my most epic lesson? I would say um, I don't do this often enough, and, I mean, we touched on it before, but my most epic lesson, and this is a bit off-centre, is to always look back and see how far you've come because um, it's great that we learn all these tricks and, you know, we learn all this knowledge and stuff, but I think as entrepreneurs we often don't celebrate our wins enough. Um, And I think it's important to always look at your wins and celebrate them and not focus on the losses so much. Because I can often focus on the losses and the failures too much and then forget about all the success that we've had. Yeah, great advice. So if you're, uh, for the listeners out there, think about a recent win, go get some champagne and celebrate. That's Jay's advice. Absolutely. (laughs) Totally. Jay, um, thank you so much for your time today. We can't wait to see what unfolds next for Edwards & Co. Um, Whatever it is, we know it's going to be truly epic. So we wish you all the best. Thank you for having me. It's been so good. (laughs) Thanks, Jay. Hey gang, don't you just love Jay Edwards? He's just 30 and he's built an epic, game-changing brand with an eight-figure turnover in really just under a decade. There was so much in this interview, but I wanted to share my top three takeouts. It was pretty difficult to distill it down to three. Number one, set your own rules. Jay has continually challenged the status quo and almost created his own business model that contradicts traditional salon models and hasn't it been successful for him. Number two, put your customer at the heart of everything that you do. Jay constantly looks at the Edwards & Co experience through the eyes of his customers. And as a result, and one of the many benefits of that, he has one of the most Instagrammed brands in his industry. And epic takeout number three, be brave enough to charge a premium price for your product or your service. By being the most expensive in the industry, Jay has actually been able to curate demand. Imagine if you were the most expensive in your industry and had an epic wait list. How differently would you feel about your business? All right, it's time for this week's health hack. And this week I wanted to know a little bit more about preventing overeating when traveling. This is, um, I think, a selfish segment for me because I travel a lot for work. In fact, I've been on more than 50 flights this year already. And I find that travel is the thing that really messes with my exercise, my eating, and of course, my drinking. Sometimes it's too easy to have that cheeky glass of rosé in the lounge. Um, So today we're back with our favorite nutritionist and exercise scientist, Amelia Phillips. Hi, Amelia. Hi, Amanda. So, Amelia, this week I know when I ask you about this, um, traveling and eating and not exercising and all of that, that we all challenges all of us. I know what you're going to tell me. And the first thing you're going to say is stay away from the breakfast buffet. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> oh, they're so tempting, those breakfast buffets, aren't they? They look amazing. Um, look, I'm actually not going to tell you to stay away from the breakfast buffet because there, there's nothing wrong with a big brekkie, providing that, especially when it's free, hello, <laughs> if it's on a work trip, um, especially if you're going to plan out your food for the rest of the day and you're not going to have three massive meals. You know, if you look at the amount of food you eat over a 24-hour period and you kind of balance it out, then I've got no objection to you having a, you know, two-course, maybe even a a sneaky three-course breakfast. You know, you start with a little bit of fruit, a little bit of yogurt, you have a bit of protein, you use some whole wheat um, bread while you're, uh, toast while you're having your, your eggies. That's fine. What I suggest you do, and this is what I usually do, is we'll skip the lunch part of the day. So I might steal a banana and a yogurt off the breakfast buffet, pop it in my handbag, and then hopefully we'll be able to skip the lunch um, and just have that as a little bit of a snack, assuming that, you know, there's a work function on, there's a dinner on that night. But So just think of it like maybe two major meals in that day and, and one little snack rather than three big meals. Oh, that's good advice. The thing I really struggle with is at conferences, and it always cracks me up, is at conferences they'll often have, you know, a health speaker, so they're talking about health and diet and how important it is. And then you break for morning tea and you come out and it's just complete wall-to-wall sugar at the morning tea buffet. So (laughs) that's the, the challenge for me at conferences is actually finding something to eat during the day that's not, um, that's not unhealthy or, or full of sugar. I totally agree with you and um, I was at one recently where they had these like little pre-packaged uh, morning tea biscuits and there were like three Anzac biscuits in a little pack and everyone was just popping these packets and I thought once I pop I just can't stop. I'm like I'm not touching those babies because I know I'll have three packets and that'll be nine biscuits. Look that's where I do like the whole you know having a healthy snack in your bag ready to go. Not that I'm condoning stealing but. <laughs> yes you um, are. You heard it here people. Amelia's <laughs> A stealer from oh, the buffet. No. Um, I do. I do think that's a good way because, and you know, if you're starving, of course you're going to reach for those snacks and those unlimited Mentos. That's the other thing that always gets me. I just do not go there. I imagine that the that the waiter has sneezed on them, and then I can't touch them. <gasps> that is great. Imagine that the waiter has sneezed on them, people, and then you won't eat the Mentos. That's yeah, so... I do that at cocktail parties as well when they're handing around their, you know, cocktail food, and I'm trying not to eat it. That is. <laughs> So good. That is so good. Um, let's talk about exercise when you're traveling because, again, when you're traveling, you're, you're, you're out of your routine. What are some tips on how to stay disciplined? Um, I know for me, planning ahead and checking what uh, gym facilities the hotel has helps me sort of plan. Um, for other people, like Julie Bishop, for example, talks about how important running is no matter where she is in the world. So have you got some tips on yeah, how to, I guess, stay focused and stay disciplined around exercise when you're traveling and, and you're out of your routine? Yeah, look, I actually think to reframe and go, when I'm traveling, this is one of the best times to exercise because my routine is usually pretty pre-planned. You know what time the conference starts you, or, or your event starts. You're usually on your own, so you're not having any family dramas. Um, early morning exercise rocks, I reckon, when you're traveling because it gets you to bed early the night before. It helps to prevent jet lag because you're getting out in some fresh air. It familiarizes you with an area if you say, if you're going to go out jogging. Um, And it also turns you into a fat burning machine for the day. So, you know, getting back to our buffet conversation, if you've just been for a run, you can smash that buffet. Within 45 minutes of exercising, if you eat um, 
if you eat then you you burn so much more of that meal off um and i always find when you walk into uh you know a meeting or a conference you can always tell the people who are the early morning early bird gets the worm people who come in fresh as a daisy i always feel like i march into those rooms feeling like i'm winning yeah absolutely you're ahead of the game um, and then those, yeah. those people who come straight from uh straight from going out after the after the event party and come straight yeah. into the conference room Yes. Oh, and look, that has been me before, and I'm very aware that I probably smell like a pina colada from the fire. I wasn't wasn't suggesting anything like that, Amelia. (laughs) Uh, But I look, you know, I always say to myself, if you do the crime, you do the time. So if I'm out and I get first night fever at at an event, I will absolutely um, do the time the next morning and get up and still train. Um, And look, if you don't want to face the world, you don't want to go out um, outside of the hotel or the hotel doesn't have a gym, there are some great YouTube videos um, for hotel room workouts. There's one called um, Body Coach TV. It's free. It's on YouTube. You know, just whack one of those on, do a 20-minute hotel room workout and you'll be laughing. And another tip that I actually picked up from you years ago was traveling with a resistance band because that means that you can essentially do a workout um, in, in your room. Oh, absolutely. And that's great. And they're so good for glute activation, which is really important for anyone that sits in a desk all day because our glutes switch off, our hip flexors get super tight, and then, we, and then our back gets into all sorts of pain. Um, so, yeah, thanks for reminding me of that tip, Amanda. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, that's great. Thanks for those tips, Amelia. So when you're traveling, stay away from – don't stay away from the breakfast buffet, um, but balance it out with some good exercise and use running as a way, if particularly if you're in a new place, to um, – yeah, to familiarize familiarize yourself and see a new city or a new town Um, absolutely if julie bishop can do it we can all do it absolutely she's got time we have time people Um, thanks amelia really appreciate your time today and of course for more health hacks visit amelia at ameliaphillips.com.au or download her podcast healthy her thanks amelia we'll hear from you next week thanks amanda Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Epic Podcast. I hope that you're feeling inspired to go and do, create or manifest something epic in your life. And if you're feeling inspired, perhaps give this episode an epic share on your favourite socials. I would be epically grateful. I'm Amanda Stevens, and I'll catch you on the next episode of the Epic Podcast.